Welcome to the Gals Guide to the Galaxy podcast, where a group of gals gather for you one cool thing around our topic of the month. Is it ancient history? Is it breaking news? Is it safe for work? Well, that's up to each gal. All we know is that... Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Welcome back. I'm Barb, and I'm joined by Bonnie, Leah, and Katie talking about our one cool poetry gal. Um, Bonnie has already talked about Phyllis Wheatley. Katie talked about Dorothy Parker, and she played a little game with us. Made us <laughs> guess at the beginning, but that was fun. Uh, I had no idea who it was, but Leah jumped in, solved it for us. Thank you, um, movies. <laughs> so I'm ready to do my poetry gal, but before I do that, uh, Leah is going to tell us what's on the docket at Gal's Guide this week. I am. So for the week of April 17th through the 23rd, on Wednesdays, we write. So join us at the Gals Guide Library on Wednesdays at 4.30 for Writer's Galaxy. It's a wonderful time for writing and connecting with other writers. Then on Thursday, April 20th, Film Club is happening. We're going to be talking about Sita Sings the Blues. It is an animated masterpiece that is based on the epic poem, The Ramayana. So join us online or in person at 5.30. Register early to get that Zoom link. There will be no Tara Circle this week because it's Fairyville week. That's right. So on Friday, April 21st, it's Fairyville after dark. That's right. This is the more adult-centered fairy fun that takes place from 6 to 9 p.m. There is glitter beer that I believe we've talked about on this podcast in detail um and so visit our gals guide booth we are going to have a storyteller spin tales on each half hour we are also going to have a fairy squishing activity where you can use (laughs) our magic book and free a fairy by slamming a book to free them trust me only adults can do this because kids will like it too much (laughs) (laughs) then on saturday fairyville continues in a more kid-friendly manner from 10 a.m to 5 p.m we're going to have fairy crafts for sale and goodies to give away we're also going to have a scavenger Avenger hunt where you can receive a certificate of fairy awesomeness. That's fairy right. Fairy awesomeness. Uh, so we are one of many organizations that are on the trail of working with Nickel Plate Arts for this very colorful event. So check us out at galsguide.org. Barb, I think you have a rando question for us. I do though. have a rando question. Yes. So since it's poetry month, yes. I wanted to know who your favorite poet was. I feel like I'm going to be cheating. <laughs> Do I go with my first instinct? Go. Bob Dylan. Nice. It's, I mean, I know he's a singer-songwriter, but I freaking love Bob Dylan. And Bob Dylan led me to the beatnik poets. Very nice. So, but that's the thing. I wouldn't have got to the beatnik poets if I didn't get from Dylan. And Dylan also had that wit and sarcasm like Dorothy Parker had. My favorite song of his is It's Okay, Ma, I'm Only Bleeding. <laughs> like... It's my favorite song. <laughs> I'm just shaking my head at you because it's such yeah. a cool answer. It's Dylan, and man. And mine is Shel Silverstein. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I love Shel. <laughs> no, that's one, all I got. Like, no, I just have good. not progressed into adulthood with No, no, no. That's But perfect. I remember it from my childhood, yes. and Jonah always loved it. Yes. And we would sit in his room yes. together before bed and read Shel Silverstein. Mm-hmm. The wishing tree. The crack tree. in the sidewalk. Yes. Was, oh, yes. 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 Oh, so many Favorite. good ones. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Giraffe and a Half was one of my However, favorites. However, Bob Dylan to beat next is way cooler oh. than Charles <laughs> It's not a competition. All poetry is amazing. <laughs> I feel like it is. And I lost with Shel Silverstein. I'm just no, going to eat this delicious Shel. cookie that you uh-huh. made and say that I'm you I'm going to have to go dig into Barb's wine because I drink all mine. <laughs> oh. I like drink that. away my Shel Silverstein <laughs> sorrow. 
my goodness. <laughs> Who is your well, favorite? If we're going with uh, singer songwriters as well. I mean, it's cheating, but yeah. Just off the top Cheaters. of my head, uh, Weird Al comes to my head. Oh, how <laughs> good. How fun. Oh, man. I love the puns and stuff, so. Yeah. It's very witty, uh, turn of phrase. Because there's a lot that's happening within a Weird Al nest. Because it's homage to an original song, but then it's still poetry and it's still telling a story. But it's like, I don't know. It is it is quite magical, it's really actually. Fun. Yeah. It's really fun. <laughs> You know, and ultimately, it should be fun, right? Yes. You should enjoy and should make you smile in some way. Exactly. So. Or make think, you think or make you have any kind of emotion whatsoever. Yeah. Then you know it's working. Yeah. Yes. So mine were a little bit heavier. Okay. Uh, yes. No, bring us back home to it. <laughs> no, so I, uh, one of the ones that always stands out for me, it's Maya Angelou. Oh, she's great. Um, Absolutely. And yes. probably the reason that I enjoy her work so much is after I learned about her story. Oh, yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. the challenges that she had. Do you know um, why the cage bird sings? Sorry, sorry, couldn't yeah. help it. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So, uh, but then because I also like their owner. Yeah, right, right. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh my! Oh, sorry, no. sorry, guys. Um, Bonnie it, started it. Oh no! <laughs> but I like that experience, and you know yeah. her, her her life story, ex- her story, and and how yeah. she retells that. And then uh, really liked Amanda Gorman as oh, well. Yes. Um, and when she spoke at the inauguration, yeah. uh, that was just very very moving. I, and I just, Maya spoke at the inauguration yeah, for she, Clinton, yes, and yes. just nailed yes, it. Yes. And the both of them echoed that same. Uh, power in poetry. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I did like uh, Amanda just uh, updated fresh and, yeah. and her outlook on mm-hmm. uh, and her call to action. So that was really nice. I enjoyed. I yeah. enjoyed that. So probably two of my favorites currently. Yes. I always like Shell though. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Still have all my shells over steam. But... I, mean, yeah, I have, I have mine too. I have mine too. Mm, just love, love the two. So. <laughs> Perfect. Well, who do you have for us, Barb? So, I have um, Anne Sexton. Sweet. Who I've only heard the name. All right. And because um, it stands out on a shelf with a last name like Sexton. It does. It's also in very large capital letters it, it in every book. They want to make sure on the shelf you see the word sex on it. Yes, yes. Because <laughs> I believe it sells, is what I've been told. Yes, I do believe it does. And uh, it may have made its way into some of her of her works, as no. a matter of fact. I like that. <laughs> Only right. f- uh, it's unfortunate because it's from a dark perspective. So, uh, uh, but we'll get, we'll get into that. I've uh, been there. Yeah. <laughs> Katie's still on board. Mm-hmm. We'll do that on another podcast, okay. Katie. <laughs> um, Anne was born Anne Gray Harvey on November 9th, nineteen twenty-eight, in Newton, uh, Massachusetts, uh-huh. just outside of Boston. Okay. Uh, so this is how my my mind works when I'm getting ready for a podcast. I see Newton, Massachusetts, and I'm like. How do you Where? say that? How do you how do you right. pronounce that? Am I saying it right? It's actually the <laughs> how I research things. Um, the Fig Newton is actually named after oh, Newton, Massachusetts. It wasn't made in Newton, Massachusetts, but oh. that was the inspiration for the name okay. of the Fig Newton. So now I you know, know what rabbit holes. You know, yeah. that's exactly right. You know what it's podcast is for. It has <laughs> right. nothing to do with poetry. It has nothing to do with Anne, but now you know. But you'll uh, win on a trivia you, night with exactly. that Exactly. That's absolutely <laughs> and right. That's you why will. you listen. Yeah. That's why you will. Uh, so again, that's just outside of Boston, um, and she grew up kind of in that Boston area. Mm-hmm. Um, her father was um, a wool merchant. Gotcha. Um, and was was fairly successful as a, as a wool merchant, and she probably had a better than middle class, so probably an upper middle class upbringing. wasn't 
filthy rich by any stretch of the imagination, right. but they were materially comfortable. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, uh, she was able to go to um, boarding school, like higher end boarding schools. She went to college, um, and the college was a semi finishing school, uh, but higher end. She was able to to do that kind of thing. Her dad had enough money to do that. Um, she uh, they vacationed in a place called Squirrel Island in Maine. I like it already. So <laughs> I will say uh, again another rabbit hole that I or another yes, squirrel please. hole that I went down when I was researching. Uh, the island did not have squirrels initially. That is disappointing. So it may have squirrels now. They may have been imported. I am yeah. yeah. sure someone did. A suitcase full. The reason <laughs> the reason it was called Squirrel Island is because if you took an aerial picture of the island, which is relatively small yeah it looks like a squirrel holding an acorn uh, so there you go so uh, right. but again if you can imagine yeah. a small a misnomer a, I agree. you have to look I at agree. it from above right. i don't look at nothing from above <laughs> exactly. exactly they didn't even have drones back then so it's like literally a plane oh, going yeah. over a guy right. hanging out with a i don't camera. trust it so so there you go uh, but small <laughs> island about 100 houses cottages that were built in the late 1800s okay. so kind of New England area used this as kind of a nice getaway for the summer and her family was able to like go there. Like a Nantucket kind of getaway. Probably not thing. as nice as right. a Nantucket well, yes. or Martha's Vineyard kind right. of thing, but certainly very it's similar. Like, it's so, Pearl Island. Indiana Beach. <laughs> Indiana Beach. <laughs> Massachusetts. <laughs> the chef's out. Yeah. Because there is no beach in Indiana Beach. Anyway, Let's yeah. call it quaint. Let's okay. just call it quaint. Yeah, that's fair. And, I mean, and not well, Indiana. Yes. <laughs> so if you were looking at Anne and her family and her life from the outside, you'd mm -hmm. say they were materialistically, they were comfortable, they were well taken care of. Mm -hmm. um, however, um, through her eventual writing, um, you will come to find that maybe uh, it wasn't as nice as it was perceived to be. Uh -huh. um, so there were some struggles um, in her upbringing and that in that came that came out sooner rather than later um so it uh at 40 in, in 1948 at the age of 19 she married alfred mueller sexton gotcha hence the name hence the name uh he was the second uh second the and second. his his nickname was ko all right. Like so, K O K A Y O. Right. K O. Oh. So I, I, I looked, I looked at his name, and I yeah. looked at the nickname. I'm not sure where that came from. Uh, K O was in the military, and okay. he uh, served in Korea. And uh, while he was in Korea, um, Anne became a fashion model. So she oh. worked in Boston. Uh, she worked for Boston's Heart Agency, and uh, very attractive. You know, had the cheekbones. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, she was went to finishing school, so she uh, probably knew how to walk the catwalk and that kind of thing. So she did fairly well. Um, eventually, he came home from Korea, and they decided it was time to start a family. So uh, they had two daughters in 1953, and one the first one in 1953, and one in 1955. Uh, it was at this time, um, about age 26, that her struggles with mental health became a parent gotcha. um so first it was postpartum depression uh. um and between the birth of the two daughters she had uh her first um kind of breakdown gotcha. it led to hospitalization uh. it led to therapy and she would struggle from age 26 for the rest of her life and unfortunately 
the rest of her life was only 20 more years. Oh, So she died at a very young age. Was she bipolar? She was eventually diagnosed as bipolar. Yes. But early on, they, you know, they diagnosed her with hysteria. Oh, yes, exactly. Right. Yes. I think still to this day, bipolar is, you know what I mean, not yes. really that well understood. There was so. a lot of things going yeah. on with, with Anne, and it would all, like I said, if you looked at it from a distance, everything looked, you know, she looked mm-hmm. proper, and everything was good. She had everything. The more that you uncover through her work, and through her writing, and through her therapy, and yeah. things like that, it, it's like peeling back an onion. There's lots yeah. of layers that caused uh, some trauma there. Gotcha. Um, so as she she began this downward spiral with her mental health, um, she came into contact with a gentleman by the name of Martin Orn, who was her primary therapist. Um, her first therapist was, was probably his mother, um, okay. and she retired and Martin took over. Gotcha. Um, but it was Martin who suggested that she channel her emotions into writing and oh. and she grabbed onto that full force and mm-hmm. jumped right in so she's in the boston area so first it's a very literate area yes. lots mm-hmm. of universities lots mm-hmm. of you got Harvard. Uh, yeah exactly exactly <laughs> um and lots of culture and uh liberal takes on things so she felt very comfortable uh in grabbing onto writing groups and mm-hmm. um starting uh starting up her writing kind of from scratch because she wasn't known to be a writer before then. And it doesn't sound like there was writers in her family either. Correct. So, yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. So, so she did build a network for herself. Uh, so in the writing groups in Boston, she came into contact with poets like uh, Maxine Kuhlman, gotcha. Robert Lowell, George Starbuck, and Sylvia Plath. Oh, so uh, yes, yes. And I believe uh, George Starbucks started Starbucks, right? I do not believe I that to be does. true. Like, just, I do not. I just wanted. It. I, she but just... it's named after him. Just but it's got to be. Yeah, the, the, the mermaid on the cup sense. is George Starbucks. <laughs> yes, yes. Modeled by handsome and sexy. Right. <laughs> exactly. Perfect. Exactly. Listen right. to us for right. true history facts. Absolutely. Hashtag fact. Tune in. <laughs> um, she started at, with the writing groups. Um, she she really enjoyed it. But she was very anxious uh, about attending. Uh, So there was a poet, uh, uh, John Holmes. Uh, He was going to have a workshop. She couldn't even register herself for her workshop. So she wanted to go. But a friend had to register for her workshop and take her to the first workshop because she was so anxious. She could not. She was having a panic attack. She was having a panic attack just thinking about registering. So luckily she had... Uh, built a network for herself who who uh, who would help who her would drag her in that regard to a exactly workshop. There you who go. who would drag someone to a writer's <laughs> workshop? I would drag people into an anthology. Doctor Leah would Leach. Drag people into any kind of writing nest. <laughs> uh, so we talked about uh, she became friends with uh, Maxine Cumin. Uh, they. They would critique each other's work. Gotcha. Uh, they would have working sessions. Uh, they would eventually go on to write several children's books together. Oh, cute. Uh, Sylvia Plath, also uh, a, no- a well-known poet. They became very good friends. Sylvia also uh, grappled with mental health issues. I was going to say, they probably were too good of friends mm-hmm. to encourage each other in maybe destructive ways. That is very, very correct. <laughs> oh, that no. is very much correct. But they did become very good friends, and they were good friends until Sylvia um, Sylvia ended up committing suicide yeah. at a very young age. She was only 30 when she committed suicide. Yeah. So, But they were, uh, they were good friends through that time. Um, Anne found a mentor in W.D. Snodgrass. Gotcha. Uh, they met oh. at an Antioch Writers Conference. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. He was known... Because 
he wrote about multi-generational relationship challenges between mothers and daughters. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, probably relatable to some of us. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> also as she was going through therapy and coming to terms with her childhood, she was revealing in her writing that uh, that she had some multi-generational challenges with her mm. mother. Uh, so she wrote, using, using Snodgrass as inspiration, she wrote a book of poetry called The Double Image. Uh, WordPress calls this book a terrifying picture of mothers and daughters with masochistic comfort in the familiarity and inevitability of it all. Oh, wow. It reflects being trapped in the image of your mother and the struggle to break free. Yeah. So this is kind of. I feel of, that. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I'm yeah. sure lots of people feel that. And and that was kind of the, the start of the revelations of how bad her childhood was. So gotcha. talking about. Uh, being being trapped in the image of your mother gotcha. uh, um her uh her style of poetry kind of coming out of that it's called confessional verse oh. um and it's a branch of postmodernism okay. um that emerged in the 1950s and it was characterized by intellectual skepticism okay like as it. well as deep self-reflection so she really grabbed on to the deep self-reflection and as she's going through therapy and as she's you know working mm -hmm. with her her uh, mental health issues she's reflecting on her childhood and it's bringing out topics and things like that uh at first her writing was very uh proper and formal mm -hmm. but as she dealt with her uh mental health issue it became more revealing and it became very raw i use that i used that word earlier but that's mm -hmm. kind of the way that it was yeah. uh and it in her in her work reflected her mental state whatever she was going through at the time so it was authentic um, it very authentic yeah. um and then um as it became personal um it became kind of political she never really identified as a feminist but she did identify as a woman who possibly didn't like being told what she shouldn't write about uh, so as she so was feminist then. She, exactly exactly so she she was processing her mental health issues and she started writing she started writing about everything that impacted her life mm -hmm. uh topics that were considered crude um, obscene and repulsive for women to, to write about. Because it was something that a woman was experiencing, it was, yes. so therefore yeah. crude. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Great. She started writing about menstruation. Nice. Right. Abortion. Mm -hmm. Sex. Sex fantasies. Mm -hmm. Masturbation. Mm -hmm. Incest. Adultery. Drug addiction. Yeah. And she, poetry. <laughs> she wrote it in a personal way so that it revealed if you read it, you, you knew what she had been processing and yeah. what yeah what impacted her life. Um, and like many of the women that you guys speak about on an ongoing basis, uh, she explored beyond what tradition said was acceptable for yeah. women. Mm -hmm. Um, so lots of people didn't like it. Sweet. Uh, however, that means she was doing it right. However, <laughs> uh, she received immediate notice and acclaim, oh, uh, yay. a lot of critics and a lot of, um, you know, a lot of people at the universities that she worked with, noticed her work, published her work. She was also published in the New Yorker. You mentioned that Ooh. earlier. Uh, and Harper's Magazine, which was a, a sister one. organization to Harper's Bazaar. Yep. Um, but she was published right away. She won contests. Uh, she she got pulled into a lot of the universities in the area to teach. Uh, so to either uh, wow. do poetry seminars, yeah. but she worked at Boston University, ah. Radcliffe, and she also eventually got pulled into Harvard. Ah. So because um, Radcliffe is the woman's Harvard. Yes, <laughs> yes. 
so she her got to both of them exactly exactly <laughs> and she actually accomplished she was very accomplished and so her legacy was very lasting so i'll talk a little bit about her legacy and some of the works that she did um but we still haven't dug into why and how she writes the way that she does but her le- her legacy so 12 years after she wrote her first poem mm-hmm. She won the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry. Oh. Wow. That oh was in 1967. Goodness. And the book was called uh, Live or Die. It was a collection of poetry, both versed and free verse. Gotcha. Um, and it centered on topics dealing with her mother, uh, oh. her own daughters, and her struggles with mental illness. So very nice. revealing, uh, dark, deep. Super um, personal. Super personal. Mm-hmm. And 12 years after her first poem. So. Wow. You know, if I ignore my poetry from when I was little, (laughs) my first poem was written last year. I have 11 years. There you go. I'm timing you. And go. Go. And go. (laughs) I believe in you. (laughs) Um, She became a fellow in the Royal Society of Literature based out of London. She was a Radcliffe Institute fellow as well as a Guggenheim fellow. She was the first female member of the Harvard chapter of Phi Beta Kappa. Phi Beta Kappa is the oldest academic honor society in the world, and it recognizes uh, those with accomplishments in the liberal arts. It is very exclusive. Yeah. Like, very, very, very exclusive. Like, we would not be in this honor society. Right. But presidents and Nobel laureates could be in Uh, there. So, uh, again, she was the first female member from the Harvard chapter. So, that was was quite an accomplishment. Um, She is commemorated on uh, Boston Women's Heritage Trail. Mm, So they have a heritage trail, a freedom trail, and a black heritage trail. Have you guys heard of this before? Phyllis Wheatley is. Yes, yes, she is. Yes, yes, yes. And it was created by Boston public school teachers. And the goal was to illuminate women of history and to restore women to their rightful place in the history of Boston. Oh, very nice. That seems to align very nicely with with maybe our mission. Yeah. a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. Exactly. I would love to do that. That would be fun. So we also go to the Salem Witch Trial? Or the Salem. Okay. I just want to do that too. Yep. We got to do that. If you've heard of Peter Gabriel. Oh, of course. So he wrote a song called Mercy Street. Yes. It was based on one of her works called 45 Mercy Street. Oh. So the piece is about, she's looking uh, looking for this address, 45 Mercy Street. Okay. Um, and she can't find it. Yeah. Uh, and it talks about the struggles of looking. But both her work and his song, uh, very sexually suggestive. Uh, very, they have allusions to drug use and unconsciousness. Dark, uh, bad father figures. Uh, uh, bad religious figures uh so there's a lot packed into this piece a lot Mm. revealing it really spoke to peter when he read it and then he wrote a story or wrote a song that accompanied accompanied that so uh interesting and the lyrics are just dark and haunting and um there is one line in there that talks uh, it's a it's talking about a priest uh and uh her velvet box Mm-hmm. Um, so in contextual, it could be a velvet box, like a confessional, like sure. she's coming to confessional or not. Right. Uh, exactly. so, so really dark, mm-hmm. really deep, different um, kind of box, different mm-hmm. kind of velvet <laughs> box, uh, to bedlam and partway back is one of her works that deals, uh, deals specifically with her, uh, psychiatric struggles 
uh, over time gotcha. and what she learned about herself, uh, what she learned about uh, and, and how to deal with her family history. Um, a witch's life dealt with aging. Um, transformation uh, is a retelling of the Grimm's fairy tale. Oh, nice. She, ha- she liked to retell uh, stories. And if she didn't like the male lead, she yeah. would recast it as a female. It sounds like feminism. Mm-hmm. Could be. Could be. <laughs> could be. If, she, if it was already a female yeah. lead, and it could be a fairy tale, it could be just another fiction piece. Yeah. If she didn't like the female lead or what the female lead did, she would she would recast mm-hmm. in her with her own experience and make it someone that she could get behind. Look at that. Yeah, so she nice. did uh, Snow White and Cinderella and Rapunzel and Sleeping Beauty, uh, <laughs> none of whom she seemed to care for very much. Really? So uh, a sarcastic spin uh, on Happily Ever After is how it was cast uh. and, uh, again, retold with her life stories. So um, Sylvia, we talked about Sil- Sylvia Plath. Uh, mm-hmm. She wrote a poem after Sylvia's death. Um so Sylvia, again, she was 30 when she, when she committed suicide mm-hmm. and she uh, said that she had been in about a six to seven, seven month depressive episode mm-hmm. and uh, went home one day uh, to her apartment uh, oh. where her kids were, put the kids in the other room, shut the door, taped up the door, oh. put rags in the crevices, oh. turned on the gas stove and stuck her head in the gas stove. Right. I knew about um, the stove. I didn't know that she was the... That she kind of hid the kids away and stuff. Yes. Oh, goodness. Yep. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, Anne, again, very impacted by this because they had been friends for a while. Uh, and they commiserated with each other about their uh, mental health issues. And they were both uh, preoccupied with suicide. Yeah. So one of the lines in the poem that she wrote was, How did you crawl into, crawl down alone, into the death I wanted so badly and for so long? So the poem is not only about her missing Sylvia, Mm -hmm. but it is maybe a little bit that she's jealous that Sylvia actually committed suicide and and she could not. Right. Uh, And and now she's by herself. Yes. Yes. And she has no one to commiserate with. Yeah. Um, So, uh, again, all of this just shows her ongoing struggle. This is the last 20 years of her life from uh, the age of about 26 to 45. Mm -hmm. This was kind of all... um, all coming into play. Um, in an interview over a year before her death, um, she was working on a manuscript called The Awful Rowing Toward God. Um, she or her family, and it wasn't clear who had done this, had reached out to a priest oh, no. uh, because they were Catholic and they wanted sure. um, the last rites because she was so suicidal. Uh-huh. They thought that she was you know, going to take her life. Mm-hmm. And the priest, uh, so that's for those who don't know, uh, mm-hmm. so that's the last sacrament. And it's usually given... On your deathbed, literally right. on your deathbed, mm-hmm. or if they if they miss that opportunity, it comes right after. Um, but he would not perform the last rites, ah. and he told her that God was her typewriter. Oh, it did incentivize her to keep living and keep writing. Nice. But everything she wrote after that point was all about death and the manifestations. That obsessive, very, then. very, very much Got so. It, yeah. So continuing to struggle. Um, so we, we mentioned that she had been diagnosed as bipolar, mm-hmm. but they also said, you know, hysteria, postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. She also suffered from alcoholism. Uh, she had anorexia nervosa. Eventually mm-hmm. toward the end, she was uh, diagnosed with manic depression. Gotcha. So spiraled all of it 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 um she said toward the end of her life that uh people would say to her you seem to be better you seem to be getting better oh and her response was 
no, I became a poet. Meaning that she didn't think that she was getting better. She learned how to channel um, her, her energies and her feelings into good works. Yeah. But she never thought that she was getting better. Um, And and it doesn't sound like she was Um, on October 4th, 1974. uh, She had lunch with Maxine uh, Kuhlman. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was revising that work that we talked about, the awful rowing toward God. Mm-hmm. Um, they worked on it and went home. Um, she took off all of her rings. Gotcha. She downed a glass of vodka. Mm-hmm. She put on her mom's fur coat. Oh, no. She went out into the garage, shut oh. all the doors, started up the car, and died of carbon monoxide inhalation. Aww. Very similar in the way that Sylvia, Sylvia had yeah. died. Uh, she was 45. It was 11 years after Sylvia's death that she committed suicide in this way. Wow. Um, so both led very troubled lives. Um, and, you know, uh, Anne's life, um, even at this point, you didn't really know mm-hmm. all the things, all those layers of the onions you didn't really know about. So right. a lot of that didn't come out until after her death. So after she died... Uh, Martin was Martin Orn was no longer her therapist. Okay. Um, so he started speaking pretty openly about the therapy sessions. Uh, he eventually That's worked, a patient client. After death, uh, I think you can dead. Yeah. Uh, I think that's creepy. It is creepy. <laughs> and, and it was not looked favorably. He he right. he took heat for talking about it. He then released the recordings because he had recorded all oh of their sessions. So that did not go over well yeah. either. But not only did it reveal things about Anne, it revealed things about Martin as well. And yeah. so uh, a lot of mental health professionals at the time were saying that he was using unsound psychotherapeutic techniques <sighs> and yeah. a lot of barbiturates. Oh, no. So he had prescribed a lot of drugs for her. Oh. He was using hypnosis. Right. And the a uh, lot of the mental health professionals at the time said that things that she was revealing through hypnosis may have been suggested by Martin. Right. So the words that he was using, the way that he talked about things, You're she very had, subject or she, sub, yeah, yeah. Yes. She mm-hmm. she picked up on those. Yeah. And then she was reciting those back. So but a lot of it was about the abuse of her father, like how how he had abused her. It was also about her mom abusing her. Yeah. Um also, what came into light through the recordings was her abuse of her own daughters, oh. um, sexual abuse, molestation of one of the daughters, oh, no. physical abuse of both of the daughters and the husband. Oh. So you can see these patterns that started when she was very young yep. repeated themselves. Right. They never, she never recovered from that. Right. And so that was... Um, it was heartbreaking. It's yeah. heartbreaking that at the age of 45, she still had not come to terms with it and moved on beyond right. that. Um, and that part of it is very much because of her shitty therapist. Yes. Yes, exactly. So she had multiple shitty therapists, right. by the way. Yes. Uh, so uh, Martin Orne said that when he, um, and I don't know if he retired or moved on or what he did. Mm-hmm. She did have another male therapist who Anne entered into an affair with. 
Martin says that the affair was the last straw for Anne. She couldn't deal with it. And that's what led to her suicide. And so he seems easy for him. to. He seemed almost (laughs) protective of her. But it's like, you know, if you really cared about her, like a lot of all this other world about. And even before that, like maybe the maybe you could have cut back on the barbiturates a little bit or something like that. So uh, her daughter, one of her daughters was doing a biography uh, on her. Mm -hmm. And when the tapes were released, the book was halfway done and she essentially scrapped it all and started yeah. again because there was so much insight she didn't argue with anything that was presented so right, the abuse right. um her mom probably had repeated it to her the abuse that she experienced as a child yeah but then also what she per- perpetuated on her own kids yeah. um the daughter didn't really disagree with and and that was included in some you know biographical material afterwards so right. um it it was Again, very tragic, uh, and, and she was very young at 45. Yeah. Uh, we lost her to suicide. Um, so I think, um, I guess what I took away is I love it that she still, even in a frail state, didn't let people tell her what she should and should not do. Exactly. When they said, you shouldn't write about these topics, and it's crude and it's obscene, mm-hmm. she was kind of like, eh. Right. I'm going to do it anyway. Try living it. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm just writing about it. Exactly. But I also had to live it. Yeah. Yes. And I think that she wrote it uh, to be therapy for herself, but also to possibly help others yeah. who are going through that same thing. And that multi-generational mother-daughter thing, that's a thing. Yeah. And so hopefully her poetry can still bring some relief to folks and they might not feel as alone. Yeah. The other thing I took away is that she really... Um, she knew she wasn't getting better. Right. That yeah. whole line about, no, I'm not getting better. I became a poet. Right. So I'm writing about it. I'm still not getting better. I just feel like if you know you're not getting better, mm-hmm. you know, let's try something else. You yeah. know, maybe get rid of that therapist and, and move right. on. And yeah. if she had done that try at an early else. age, yeah. maybe maybe she she would have had a chance at this point she didn't really have a chance um she never she never recovered from the abuses of her childhood she had so many demons and um and it was unfortunate so i hate to end on that note but it was a very tragic tragic story um but her work that's poetry month it is poetry it is is. is. very much so Yeah. yeah Oh, goodness. We do have uh, two books in the library about Anne Sexton. We do have the complete poems. Um, and then we do have the biography by Diane Middlebrook. That's not by any chance her daughter, is it? Is it is not. Okay. All right. Gotcha. No. No. So, um, uh, so we do have those two. And then I think we do also have other poetry books that do have um, some of Anne's, like, an anthology collection and that sort of stuff. Okay. So, and I will yeah. look to verify that Diane Middlebrook is not the daughter. That name okay. doesn't sound familiar gotcha. and I didn't write it down, gotcha. but I will, I will check that and yeah. then we'll put that no in, the, in the show notes. Sweet. Yay. My goodness. Well, do you want to close it up for I us? Did, I felt like I just, I know for, I just exactly. went on and on. But no, no, no. You didn't go on and on. I you were telling perfect. us her amazing story. Yeah. Tragic as it is. It is tragic. That is like, as Katie said, that's poetry month. It is. <laughs> it poetry is. Month, that is part of yes. it. Yeah. And I have felt that in all the episodes so far. And I'm sure I'll feel it. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Up, mine's a comic romp. Oh, <laughs> fabulous. Stay tuned. Fabulous. <laughs> I have wine. I'll get through whatever you throw at us. Sweet. Uh, well, that wraps it up for us for this week. Join us next week for another cool woman of history as gals guide podcast continues thanks for listening 
For show notes, links, and images from this week's show, visit galsguide.org. Want exclusive stuff like deleted bits and major bloopers? Become a Gals Guide patron today. Thanks for listening.